Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. As that video reminds us, the theme of our series through the study of this book is seeking after God's own heart. And all of those symbols, if you notice every week on the video, form a heart. And all throughout the book, we're going to learn what it takes for us to have a heart after God's own heart. The theme verse, if you will, uh, throughout the entire book is 1 Samuel 13, 14, where God says through Samuel, I have sought a man after my own heart. And of course, it's talking about David, who would be king. But God is still seeking to form people after his own heart. And he wants by his grace and the power of his spirit to turn and transform us into people who have hearts after God's own heart. Now that begs the question, what is God's heart? I was part of a retreat uh, for our church. We have several discipleship retreats that we try to take people through. And one of those retreats is called the Battle for the Heart. Uh, There is a huge battle being waged over our hearts between evil and God. And God, of course, will win the battle, and he can enable us to win the battle, but Satan's seeking to shut our hearts down and trying to prevent us from having a heart after God's own heart. And God is constantly working to form that heart. And at that retreat, there were about 50 or 60 of us, the focus is understanding what God's heart is after, what his heart is like. And it's quite surprising to learn what the Bible says about the heart of God. I always thought that God was a think-and-do God, like God was sort of a brain on a stick who was rational and thought things, and then he just did things, and then he related to me think-and-do as well, that I need to learn these concepts, and then I just needed to obey. Now, clearly God does think, and clearly God does choose, but the heart of God is so much bigger than that. Biblically, God thinks, God feels, God deeply desires, and God chooses. And what it means to be an image bearer is that we think, and we feel, and we desire, and we choose. And to have a heart after God's own heart means that we think God's thoughts, and we feel what God feels, and we desire what God desires, and we choose what God chooses. But the question still needs to be asked, how do I know what God thinks? How do I know what God feels? How do I know what God desires? How do I know what God wants to choose? Well, the answer is actually very simple. His Word. His word reveals his heart. And the more we are immersed in Scripture, and the more we respond to Scripture, the more that by grace, through his Spirit, he forms our heart to be like his heart. And we think what he thinks, and we feel what he feels, and we desire what he desires, and we choose what he chooses. 
And so this morning's theme is seeking after God's own heart through Scripture. We're going to do that by looking at the call of Samuel to the office of prophet by God himself. And though it's a unique call to Samuel, it generally applies to all of us on how we learn to go before God's Word, to have our hearts formed, to be like God's heart. So let's stand out of reverence for that Word that is the primary way God forms our hearts. And I'll read 1 Samuel 3, 1 to 10. This is God's Word. Now the boy Samuel, he was probably about 12 to 15 at this time, The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli, of course, was the priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he, Eli, said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again, the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants to use this word to reveal his heart to our hearts so that we would have hearts after his heart and reveal and reflect that heart to all those around us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, I I am more aware today as I read this passage of how powerless I am in myself to reveal your heart to your people through your word. God, only you can do that. And so please, Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes, and may our hearts say, speak, Lord, your servants here. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So as God appears to Samuel and gives Samuel his word, we discover three attitudes of the heart by which we are to approach the Word of God. So first of all, seek after God's heart through Scripture in readiness. 
Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, what were those days? I hope you remember from last week. Those days, the days of Samuel, are the days of the judges. Now, if you know anything about the book of Judges, there's a refrain that is repeated throughout the book. Do you remember the refrain? The refrain is, the refrain is that, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, they weren't submitting to God or his word. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. Their hearts weren't ready to receive God's word, and so God's word was rare. As a matter of fact, in the latter half of chapter 2, we read about the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, that they were worthless men. They were immoral priests. They were corrupt. And the passage is being very clear to lay down the truth that the reason the word of the Lord was rare in those days was because everybody did what they saw fit in their own eyes. So let me ask you, as you come before God's word at church, in small group, in discipleship, in your daily devotions, do you approach the word with a heart of readiness? Or are you actually committed to just doing what is right in your own eyes? What's a heart of readiness? Well, scripturally, it would be to come before God's word hungry, to realize we don't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It means to approach God's word humbly, that we're needy, that we're desperate, that we're teachable. And it also means that we come to God's word with a believing heart. There's so many promises of grace that we are to believe and receive, as well as commands that we're called to obey. Are you ready to receive God's word? You see, in, in Samuel's day, revelations and visions were given, but they were rare because people didn't have a readiness of heart. In our day, we have the Scriptures. There, there is no more revelation to be given. But the principle is still true. We fail to experience the power of the Word when our hearts aren't prepared and we don't go to God's word in readiness. Look at the second part of verse 1. There was no frequent vision in those days. And if you look at verse 2 alongside of the last part of verse 1, you see that there's some real irony here. There were no frequent visions in those days. Verse 2, Eli's eyesight began to grow dim so that he could not see. You see the irony there? No frequent vision. Eli the priest couldn't even see. Do we have eyes that are prepared to see what God has to give us? And of course, what that requires is humility. What it requires is simply asking, Lord, open my eyes. Every time I, I get before Scripture, I try to pray the same prayer. Oh God, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your word. So even though we are often so unready 
to receive God's word, God still pursues us. The, 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 the grace of God is so evident in this passage. Samuel's not prepared for God's word. Eli's not prepared for God's word. Eli's sons don't even care about God's word. And yet God comes again and again and again. Verse 4, the Lord called to Samuel. God is always pursuing us. God is wanting. He is longing to reveal his heart to our heart and to form our hearts into hearts after his heart. And yet time and again, we live in unreadiness and it doesn't deter God. He keeps on pursuing us even in our unreadiness. Now, in this passage, he does it four times. I mean, Eli is so unprepared. His heart is so filled with unreadiness that he doesn't even understand as the priest that the Lord is seeking to speak to Samuel. So Samuel misses it. Eli misses it. But God keeps pursuing. And so the good news for us today is let's say that we have been living a life of unreadiness before the Lord's word. He's still pursuing us. And what that means is there's still time for repentance. You can still confess that you're wanting to do what is right in your own eyes and ask God to give you eyes to see his truth. And so then finally in verse 10, the Lord came and stood and now Samuel has a heart of readiness and says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Seek after God's heart through Scripture in readiness. Secondly, seek after God's heart through Scripture in responsiveness. Look at verse 4. He says, here I am. He, he just thinks it's Eli. And yet, look at the text. It says, it says Samuel ran to Eli to say, hey, here I am. Is that my heart before God's word? As soon as I hear it, do I run to him and say, here I am. Whatever you say, whatever you command, I'll do. I'll believe. So often, part of me does. Part of me is ready to respond. And sometimes part of me is hesitant. How about you? Are there things God has told you in his word that you're actually running the other way instead of sprinting to him? Samuel was ready to be responsive. Three times, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, we're told he went immediately to Eli and said, here I am. Do you run immediately to God's word? Do you run immediately toward obedience and responsiveness? And then look at the attitude of responsiveness in verse 9. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. A willingness to listen, to respond, to believe, to obey. All of God's word. If, if you continue to read where I, after I stopped in verse 10, the first words that Samuel hears as a prophet are not nice words. 
the first words that he hears that he's supposed to speak, that he's supposed to be responsive to, is God saying to him, you need to tell Eli I'm going to judge his family for their corruption and their immorality and for their unbelief. I'm going to take Eli's sons from him. They're not going to have anybody in the priesthood anymore, and Eli's going to die too. And we're told in the text in verse 15 that Samuel understandably was afraid to tell Eli this. But he did. See, sometimes God's word tells us things that are really hard, that are convicting. Sometimes it's filled with rebuke. Other times it's filled with comfort, promise. But a responsive heart realizes that the warnings of grace are just as beautiful as the promises of grace. And are we willing to be responsive to all of God's word? Or do we pick and choose what we want to hear and what we want to respond to? Lori and I and, and her mom, we just got back from Denver where we met our newest grandson, Carter, two weeks old. Lori was there when he was a day old. And uh, my job as Baba, that's what, what's what our grands call me, they call me Baba. My job as Baba in Denver was to look after the 26-month-old big brother, Nolan. Now, Nolan is what we would call a wee bit active, which I love because Hannah is having to raise herself. Oh, the poetic justice of it all. And so we take Nolan in the stroller to the park. Uh, we put him in a stroller because we had to walk along some highways, and because he's active, he needs to be in the stroller. We get to the park, and we let him out of the stroller, and his act. Activity as activeness activates. And he runs. He just, I mean, just he's so carefree. He just sprints so far that he can get out of our view almost. We have to call him back. And sometimes he doesn't respond. And we say, Nolan, listen and obey. If you don't listen and obey, you got to go back into the stroller. Sure enough, goes back into the stroller wants to get out. And Hannah and Kevin use hand motions with Nolan. And they say, Nolan, are you ready to listen and obey? And he says, listen, obey. And they let him out. God is our father. Do we say, listen and obey? Where are you being unresponsive to God's word today? He loves you. And God's commands and his warnings only ever come out of his goodness. And his promises are there for us to believe. Seek after God's heart through the scriptures in readiness, in responsiveness. And then thirdly, seek after God's heart through the scriptures in resoluteness. When you read the book of Samuel, you will see over and over and over again that Samuel's first 
commitment was to hear, to be ready to hear, ready to respond, unwaveringly, resolutely to the Word of God, no matter whether it was a hard word or whether it was a good and comforting word. Now, if you go beyond the passage I read, if you skip down to verse 19, it said, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. How did Samuel's heart grow? His heart grew because he was resolutely committed to a continued diet of the Word of God. That's the only way our hearts are going to be in line with God's heart, is as we resolutely commit ourselves to a steady diet of Scripture. And all through the book, the Word of God comes to Samuel, and Samuel hears. The Word of God comes to Samuel, and Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. In verse 21, it says, The Lord again appeared to him at Shiloh. God revealed his heart to Samuel's heart by speaking the word. Now, we don't, we don't hear audible voices anymore. We don't have more revelation. We have all the revelation we're ever going to get. But are we committed unwaveringly that this is the way God forms our heart after his heart? All through the book, we see it repeated. For over 40 years of ministry, Samuel was resolutely committed to the Word of God. In chapter 4, we read that the Word of God came to Samuel. In chapter 8, the Lord spoke to Samuel. In, in 1 Samuel 12, Samuel gives a farewell address as the prophet to the people of God. And over and over, he points them to the reality that our hope is in the Word of God. Jesus said to the disciples, on this rock I will build my church. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking to Peter. God never puts his hope for his church on men and women. God puts the power of the church in the message of the gospel. All the great men of God die and are replaced. All the great men and women of God have a season of playing their part in God's larger story, and then they pass the baton. Moses passed the baton to Joshua. And what was the key? Moses said to Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from you. In other words, I'm going, God's word is staying. And that was the hope of the church. It's always been the hope of the church. Upon this rock, upon the gospel, upon the word of God, God will build his church. And so Samuel passed the baton to David. And we learn in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that David was a man after God's own heart. How? 
because David had a heart of readiness and responsiveness and resoluteness to the word of God. You know, I've told you before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be passing the baton at some point. I've been here for 33 years. And my desire has been to present to you the word of God week after week after week and to point you to the hope that we have in the gospel. You see, the hope of Israel wasn't Samuel. It was a new and better Samuel named Jesus. The hope of Israel wasn't Moses. It wasn't Joshua. It was a new and better Moses and a new and better Joshua, Yeshua, a newer and better Joshua who is Jesus. The word of God reveals the heart of God, reveals Jesus. And that is the hope of the church. Now, I've talked before about my transition. I'm really going to talk about my transition now. I really believe that most founding pastors who have a long tenure at their church plant stay too long. And what that means is the time for a long-tenured founding pastor to transition out of the lead pastor role is before anybody thinks that's actually time for him to do that. Before COVID even came, I began talking to our elders of our church that I want to see Oak Mountain do this right. I want to I model as best as we're able to the congregation and to other churches what it means to pass the baton. My illustration has, has been when Paul says in a race, all the runners run. And the illustration that I've tried to use is, is of the relay race. And, and that one leg is running, and then there's a transition period. And the whole idea of that transition period is the guy that's been running with the baton is finishing at a full sprint so that the next guy who runs the leg can get up to a full sprint, and there's no time lost, and the race is won. <laughs> if you begin to think I'm getting a little long in the tooth or I'm losing some of my energy and passion, then we've waited too long. The kingdom of God is too important for us not to handle this right. And so we hired a consultant. We've prayed a lot. We've sought a lot of counsel from other people. And we've decided that January of 2024... 16 months, we hope to have the next man in place at Oak Mountain. I'm not retiring. Can't get rid of me that easy. I am literally redeploying. Lori and I will be at Oak Mountain. The idea is that uh, I'll spend more time on the gospel waltz. The idea is that Oak Mountain becomes a resource church to the kingdom of God, more broadly speaking, so that I'm actually able to take the gospel waltz or even the 40 years that God has poured into me that I'll be able to coach church planters. 
that I'll be able to coach and counsel young pastors, that I'll be able to go to the mission field and help pour the Word of God and the gospel of grace into mission teams. And Laurie and I are convinced. We're the ones that initiated this. We are convinced that this will be best for Oak Mountain. We are convinced that the best days of Oak Mountain are ahead of her. That I played the part that God had for me at Oak Mountain. And I'm going to pass that baton. And here's what I need from you. I'm going to change illustrations on you. We're going to go from a track race to speed skating. Now, the wild thing about a speed skating relay race is that the person who's running the leg, you're allowed to push the next guy. Like, it's wild. I, you're, you're allowed to go at a full sprint and push the next person and propel them as they start their leg. That's what I want to be. I, wanna, I want this guy to come in when I'm filled with energy and filled with passion and filled with vision so that I can help propel them. But here's the thing. This speed skating relay, you, you also need to be part of that push. We need each of you to be involved in propelling the next guy at Oak Mountain forward so that the kingdom of God continues to be built. Another reason why I think this is the best time is our staff team is phenomenal. I can't imagine a better staff team anywhere. And really, ultimately, it's the staff who's connected to all the people. And that remains stable. Our leadership structure is, is so structured that we have elders as shepherds and women shepherds, and we have, we have under shepherds, and we have deacons, and so many lives are touched because of the way we're structured, and that provides stability. I believe this is the time that is best for Oak Mountain and best for the kingdom for me to take a 16-month runway and change roles from lead pastor to the other roles that I think God is calling me to. You need to realize that serving this church and serving this community around us has been one of the great pleasures of my life. To be able to be in one place for so far 33 years and now counting, few men, few ministers, have had that privilege. It has been a privilege, and I'm not going anywhere. It will continue to be a privilege to lead you for at least the next 16 months, and then it'll be a privilege to actually have time to spend more time with a lot of you. And my wife, you all have no idea what she's given up for the kingdom. And for us to be able to spend time with our grandbabies. But for us to see God use us in a different way. So thank you for the privilege. I'm going to ask Scott Baker. He's going to represent the leadership. Scott has been the chairman uh, for a number of years of our sessional leadership team. Uh, he rotated off uh, last year. But uh, not just a leader in the church, but a dear friend. Thank you, brother. As Bob said, my name is Scott Baker. I'm an elder here at OMPC. My wife, Alicia, and I have been coming to this church for almost 25 years. 
We raised our family here. This is our church home, and we love it, and this is our community. It's been a privilege to see how God has used Bob, impact his kingdom, and touch lives all over the world. But not only all over the world, but right here, and right here. Over the years, I've heard the gospel preached by Bob, week in and week out, with passion and with consistency. And it's given me the desire every day to wake up and waltz, to repent, believe, and fight, to repent, believe, and fight. And by God's grace, it has changed and is changing my life. And I'm one of thousands of stories out there like that. So Bob, thank you for being obedient to the call of our Lord. Laurie, thank you for being obedient to the call of our Lord, for supporting Bob, for having his back, for loving him well, for loving us well. I have a friend that defines success, not in riches, but in obedience to God. And by that definition, you two are extremely successful. Thank you. We love you. Well done. Well done. I'm going to be quite honest with you, brother. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll be quite honest with you. I've lost a lot of hours of sleep over the last few days getting ready for this little five-minute announcement. You've been doing this for 33 years, twice every Sunday. Remember, it used to be three times. Yes, you remember, you were there. I'm exhausted. I will be taking a nap this afternoon. Sorry, Jason, got off script. Let me get back on script here. Speaking of 33 years, 33 years ago, the Lord planted Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church under Bob's leadership. Who knew how deep those roots would go, not only in our community, but also in the hearts of those who have been and are currently part of our church family. As Bob said, this is truly something unique. We have a founding pastor that is still thriving and leading in ministry after 33 years. You, you don't just see that often these days. It is extremely rare. What a blessing for our community and for us. Now, with that being said, this church has never been through a lead pastor change. So if you're like me, you might have some questions about what the next few weeks and months might hold. So, once again, this is an extremely exciting and joyous occasion, but I know it comes with questions. My daughter, when she was younger, I think she was getting ready to compete in something or take a big trip, and I looked at her and I said, how are you feeling? She said, Dad, I'm nervous-sided. <laughs> I, I said, you're what? She said, I'm nervous-sided. I said, nervous sighted. I said, what is that? She goes, well, I'm really excited, but I'm a little nervous too. 
there are a lot of us listening to this announcement for the first time that are nerve-sided. Rest assured, we have a plan in place. We do. More information will be forthcoming as early as this afternoon and in the coming weeks, you will be receiving information about the process of a new pastor search. We will also be electing a pastoral search committee from among you, the congregation. But for now, let's celebrate Bob and Lori and their calling to redeployment, as Bob talked about earlier. Absolutely, please. Thank you all, thank you. As we move forward from this announcement, I'm gonna call us all to prayer. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for those that are leading the transition process. God is on his throne and he loves his church, his bride. So let's pray that the Lord will find the next right person to take the baton and run the race of lead pastor with enthusiasm, endurance, and abundant grace. Let me pray for us. Dear Holy Father, we do praise you. We thank you that you're God, that you're good, and that you love us. We pray for this church. We pray for those that will be involved in the process. And we pray that the person you have ordained to lead this church will be ready and faithful. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Y'all remember, I'm not dead. <laughs> Good grief. Um, but nervous sighted makes sense. And, and I, I, the, the biggest thing I want you to, to, to know is we really believe this is what's best for Oak Mountain. And we really believe it's best for the kingdom. And we actually even believe it's best for us. And, and I want you all to know that. And, and so therefore, I believe it's actually going to be best for y'all. Uh, I think God is going to do some really great and wonderful things. So let's all stand and hear the benediction. And be reminded that, that he's watching over us. He loves us. And uh, the kingdom of God is going to go forward. Receive it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.